to meet you. Um, We'd love to serve you in some way. This is a community that doesn't exist for itself. This is a community of people that love one another and exist for the campus, that exist to welcome new people in, that exist to love other people because we've been loved by God first. Um, so we would love to love you, love to serve you in some way, um, be connected to you in whatever way we can. Um, I want to kind of put something in your ear real quick. Normally we, we're preaching through a gospel or we're preaching through a letter of Paul or some other book of the Bible, uh, and we do that week, week by week. Next week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do, we're calling it a night of prayer and praise, where you celebrate God's grace. Um, so it'll be a lot more songs, it'll be a lot more prayer, I'll get them to do a really short devotional, um, but for the most part, it will be a time to praise God for the things He's done in our lives, to petition God to continue to work in our lives and ask for His help, um, and really to kind of celebrate and worship together. So... Um, it's a great thing to invite your friends to. It's a great thing to be a part of. Um, so yeah, just something to think about. We'll puppet some more this week. Um, cool. So let's get started. Uh, if you're new with us tonight, uh, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And we've been seeing week by week in this letter that Paul wrote that when you boil it down, the central question that people are really trying to answer and really trying to deal with is, what kind of God is the God of the Bible? And how do we get right with him? Is he this slave driver who's just cracking the whip and making us work? Is he this accountant who keeps a very tight, very neat ledger that we have to balance with either good things or bad things? What Paul is saying here is that God is someone who is absolutely fair, who doesn't look away from sin, doesn't look away from evil, will certainly punish it, but is also incredibly merciful. So if you turn towards him in faith, you don't just get in with Him. But He forgives you of everything you've ever done, of everything you will do. That He makes you what Paul calls a co-inheritor with Jesus. That when God looks at you, you are as right with Him as His Son. You have all the things that Jesus has. The whole of creation, all of God's love. The assurance that nothing sad, nothing unclean, one day will ever be able to harm you again. And you cannot lose these things. And how does that come? By what we do? No. By what Jesus does. By what He does. And how do we get that then? By feeling bad enough for the things that we do? Or doing a lot of really good things and being a super nice person? No. By giving up our ability to work our way into God's good pleasure. And believing Him when He says that He promises to make people right with Him through His Son, Jesus. We're talking about tonight is faith. And faith is approaching God with empty hands and saying, You are God and I am not. Have mercy on me. Give me the things that I need. And I think this is our problem with faith. This is where we struggle. Is that we can be deeply uncertain about how faith works and why it's necessary. Am I doing this thing right? Does it feel the way it's supposed to feel? What is this thing that the Bible says is incredibly important but which I can't even hold in my hands or I can't even see on paper? So tonight we're going to talk about two things. The assurance of faith and the object of faith. The assurance of faith and the object of faith. And typically I'll read and then we'll pray and then we'll get into it. But this is a longer passage so I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we're going to read and get started. Because uh, I'm breaking up a little bit. So, let's pray and we'll get started. 
Father, I know that when uh, we talk about faith, that that is such a loaded word for people. Um, Lord, are we giving up our brains to follow you? Lord, are we trying to hook ourselves to some sort of emotion, or some sort of emotional high? Lord, what is faith? God, would you help us to see what faith is tonight? Would you help us to wrestle with it? God, at the heart of all things, would you help us to wrestle with who you are and what you called us to do and to be in this world? Lord, people who know you, who follow you, who love one another, whose insides are turned outside. Lord, so that we, in our vulnerability and our brokenness, love people and serve people because we've been loved and served by yourself. Would you help us to wrestle with these things tonight? Would you help us to look deeply at them? Lord, would you give us what we need to approach you with faith? In your sense, I pray. Amen. So imagine this kind of, I guess, nightmare scenario, if you will. Uh, you and two of your best friends have been selected to be on a reality TV show where you've been airlifted, Bear grill style, into the Alaskan wilderness in the middle of uh, winter. And you've been given the gear. You've got the, the heavy, like, goose-down jacket and, like, those really cool, like, uh, mountain-climbing, like, spike things and, like, the boots that you can run across snow in and all the stuff, the gear that you would want to get. Uh, and you're kind of trekking from point A to point B in this reality TV show and all of a sudden, one day while you're out, kind of going across the tundra, you hear kind of the bay of wolves behind you. Like, Woo! <laughs> you pause and you think, oh crap. <laughs> what is this? Like, is this Liam Neeson, the gray? What is this about? Um, and so you, you're running from these wolves. You get to this point where there's this river in front of you, this frozen river, and beyond the river, just on the other side, is a short cliff that if you know you can climb up and get over it, the wolves cannot follow. But you've got to cross that river to get there. And so you look at the river and you think to yourself, all right, it looks frozen. I think we can make this. And you turn to your friend and say, yeah. <laughs> your friend looks at you and they say, I really don't know about this. Like, we don't know how thick the river is, how deep is that ice. Like, Three of us together, like, we add up, like, are we going to fall down through this ice and just become river popsicles? And your last friend looks and says, no way, like, this is crazy, like, I don't care if I'm eating my wolves, this is nuts, I'm not going to, like, do this. Finally, though, you being the leader that you are, you take some rope, you totter on yourself, you totter on your friends, and you march across that frozen river. And you get to the other side, and you climb the cliff, and you're safe. Now... In that scenario, did it matter how much any of you believed or had faith that river was going to hold to you? Not at all, right? Like, the person that thought to themselves, we're probably going to fall through this river and had just a little bit of faith in the river and crossed anyway, they made it. The person with big faith who said, yeah, definitely we can make this, they made it across as well. I tell that story because the the power of faith is not in how big the faith is, how small the faith is. The power in faith is the object of the faith. Is it solid? Can you rest in it? Can you walk on it? Can you trust it? That's what faith, that's the big deal with faith. A lot of us have grown up with this felt sense that if you don't have enough faith, like whatever that means, or if you don't feel forgiven enough, or you don't feel close enough to God, then your faith must not be working. 
But I want to ask, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about that? Look here at verses 7 through 9. Um, and as we start to read this, I want to kind of do this caveat here. That sons here doesn't mean that God doesn't care about women. Uh, it doesn't mean that Paul doesn't think that there's women in the church that he's writing to. What he's talking about here is he's using kind of a, a cultural thing where in the ancient world, a son's right to an inheritance was just legally unbreakable. So Paul is saying that anyone, male or female, who has faith in Christ is granted this legally unbreakable guarantee that God is going to come through. So I just want to caveat that before we read this. This is Paul talking in verses 7 through 9 right here. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For as long as there's been a Bible, the quintessential person of faith has been Abraham. He's kind of the first, what they call the patriarch. And if you look at his story, this should be very encouraging to you as you struggle with faith. Abraham came from a family that worshipped idols. God, for no reason, approaches him and promises him that through your offspring, the whole world is going to be blessed. The whole entire earth. A huge promise. And then Abraham does what? He says, okay, God. And then he falls flat on his face. He moves to Egypt with his beautiful wife, Sarah. Pharaoh really notices her. Abraham is a coward. So he gives his wife to Pharaoh in marriage. Ooh, it's a bad move. Um, because he's afraid of Pharaoh. He's not an all-star here. Abraham eventually gets Sarah back. She's struggling to conceive this kind of promised offspring. So they take matters into their own hands together, and Abraham marries his wife's servant. She gives him a son, but there's conflict between his wife who can't conceive and his servant who can conceive. And Abraham just really feels the pinch of, why did I do this thing and take things in my own hands and mess this up? He's not always the most outstanding guy. At times he looks kind of like a sleazeball. But he believes God's promises. He believes God's promises. That Abraham's performance goes down, like way down. It goes up. But he really does believe what God has promised him. And over the course of his life, he gives up his own agenda and takes on God's agenda. And this is why Paul says that everyone who believes is Abraham's child because a child is inherently like their parent. Not only do you get everything that belongs to Abraham, but you are like Abraham too. We are like Abraham. Our performance goes up. Our performance goes down. Your feeling of God's presence goes way up. Your feeling goes way down. Your love for other people goes up. It goes down. Sometimes you're the person who's confidently trudging over that frozen river. Sometimes you're that person who can barely put their foot on it. But here's what you need to know, is that regardless of what's going on in here, or regardless of what's going on out there, whether it's Ebola, or the financial world, or ISIS, is that God is faithful to his people. And if he says that he will do something, then he will do it. You and I flake out on stuff all the time. New interesting things pop up. New people come in and out of our lives. We pick up commitments and we drop commitments. Right? 
Our moods change. Sometimes I do well on tests, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get the internship or the job, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I date the person I'm crushing on, sometimes I don't. My mood is way up and it's way down, but God is steadfast. He does not cool or waver in His affections for us, or His ability to come through on what He's promised. He always has the ability to do what He says He will do. And no one and nothing can thwart His plans. Have you ever thought about this? That we talk a lot about what God can do. That He's all-powerful, that He knows everything, He can save anyone. But we don't often talk about the things that God cannot do. That He can't sin against you. That He can't leave you. That He can't forsake you. That He can't break His promises to you. That we are fickle people. That our moods go up, our moods go down. We get tired of things, we find new things. God is steadfast. God honors His promises. God's promises are our assurance. Because He can accomplish anything He says He will accomplish. And He will always keep His word. That takes us to the second point, the object of faith. Look here at verses 10 through 14. This is a longer chunk of text, so bear with me. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The real question that Paul asks us in the Galatians is, Who is our faith in? Is it in me? Is it in my ability to obey the law? Whether that's the law of the Bible, to obey the law of some philosophy, or some other religion, or some law that I've made up? Or there's some sort of family rule that's here that I just grew up with? Is it in my ability? Or am I right with God because of His work and the things He's promised through His Son, Jesus? Here's the thing, though. Paul doesn't hate the law. He thinks the law is good. But he also knows that the Bible is clear that no law, no thing that we give to ourselves or thing we try, has the ability to, to redeem us or to change our affections, or to change our character. That to live by faith is a work. To live by faith in our work is to be judged by that work. Which is hopeless, because we don't have the power to meet God's standards. Because everything we do is tainted by our sin, and our brokenness. And so to live by those things is to live under a curse. And here's the thing with faith, though, that it's in some ways mysterious, because it's a work of God through the Spirit. But to live by faith in Christ's work on our behalf is to be united to Christ. So that what is true of Him is true of us. That on the cross, He really and truly took the penalty for our inability and for our spiritual death that we deserved. That He redeemed us, as Paul says here, by becoming a curse for us. He wasn't just cursed, but He became a curse. He suffered God's wrath and displeasure at our sin so that through faith we can enjoy God's blessing. 
and pleasure at his son's perfect obedience. Not just his external actions, but his thought life, his motivations, those are ours. You know, if the problem for people is that by nature we're born cut off from God, and by nature our minds are darkened to him, and by nature we're dead in our trespasses, then we could say that faith and grace go together because faith is joining us to Jesus. Because the power of faith doesn't lie in faith itself, whether it's big or whether it's small. The power of faith lies in its object. And if your faith is in Jesus, then your faith is tied to to this eternal life, which doesn't lie, which doesn't break its promises to you, who loves you, who's kind to you. You He is our guarantee. He is our assurance that God's grace and God's faith are joined together because God is love. And if your faith is in God's love, then it is in this person, in this Jesus. He is the one that guarantees you that however your foot goes out on that ice, that you will be safe. And to try to divide God's grace from faith in Jesus is like trying to separate the sun from its light and its heat. It's impossible. Salvation requires both. Who would this be hard for? It's hard for me. Who else would this be hard for? What if you are this, just a very hard-working person, and you come from a family of just hard workers, and you're sitting there thinking, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe in handouts. I don't want to be a charity case. And that Paul would ask, do you believe in mercy? Do you believe in the fact that God could look at us and see our sin, the way it consumes us, and offer to put us out and heal our scars at no cost to us and at every cost to Himself? Could you believe in the possibility that God could be for you and not against you? Not because of anything that you've done or said or could do or could say, because he's kind and he's good and he has mercy on people who need mercy through his son Jesus. And that he gives us a new identity in him. Because that is the God of the Bible. Could you believe in that God? Because whatever your spiritual background is, this is all of us. Everyone has to deal with the reality of their guilt. That there are things that I've done or said. There are things that I haven't done or that I haven't said, which I should have said. And I just didn't do them. And I can't stand it. That's my story. You know, Renee Brown, who's this awesome sociologist at Texas, she specializes in researching shame. And she said that in all of her research, she's kind of boiled things down, and she said that the sense of shame is just universal for everyone. And the difference between shame and guilt is that guilt says that I've made a mistake. Shame says that I am a mistake. And Brene Brown says that the question that we all have to face is, how will we deal with that? Will we drink it away? Will we eat it away? Will we work it away? Will Will we be nice until it just goes away? Because if you come to Him in faith, Jesus will wash it away. He makes people who feel dirty clean. 
And that is not the power of positive thinking. That is reality. And if you come to him already, there is no condemnation for you. The curse has fallen on Jesus. God's blessing is pronounced over you, not because your faith is up here or down here, but because Jesus is strong enough and faithful enough to bear the weight of who you are. With your guilt, with your shame, with your anger, with your depression, with your lust, with the things that you can't even say out loud to other people. He knows those things. And He bears them. Because He's good. Because He's God's love made manifest in history. I'll end with this. Um, I don't know if you saw this news story a few years ago, but... If you, or if you even know anything about New Zealand. But New Zealand is a country that has a ton of sheep. And a few years ago, that's right, there you go. New Zealand is a country with a ton of sheep. And a few years ago, there was a sheep named Shrek uh, who kind of wandered off. And I can only guess that his name is Shrek because of his like, personality or his demeanor. He's just kind of an ogre of a sheep. He wanders off from his, I guess, shepherds and from his flock. And he goes missing for like six years. And these guys are out there looking for them. They're trying to find him. He's evading capture in the hills of New Zealand, living in caves, just on, dare I say it, on the lamb. Uh, <laughs> here all night, y'all. Here all night. <laughs> he's evading capture these six years. And finally, at the end of the six years, he's caught. And the reason he's caught is because over the course of that time, as sheep are wont to do, his wool has grown Water and water and water until he's just this big cotton puff. And the wool has grown over his eyes and grown over his face. And he's like, he's blind. He can't see anymore. And they they got him. (laughs) They They find him wandering by himself, alone. They take him and they shear him because he has all this wool on him. And a normal sheep, when you shear it, has 10 pounds of wool. Shrek has 60 pounds of wool. A normal sheep, you can look him up, a normal sheep looks kind of like a dirty white like cotton ball. Shrek is this big, gross, gray, like nasty, you know the color snow turns after a few days in the parking lot? Shrek is that color. And he's covered in 60 pounds of wool. They said it was enough to make 27 men's uh, suits, size large. Can you imagine how heavy that would be for that sheep? How blind he must have been wandering around by himself. How lonely he would be as an animal that normally lives in a flock. I thought this was the best part of the whole story. That when they finally got Shrek and they shaved him and he's just this like skinny, like almost naked white sheep, what do they do with him? Whoever did this either has a very good sense of humor or really gets the gospel. But they took Shrek to the parliament in New Zealand and had him meet the prime minister. And the prime minister welcomed him back into civilization and gave him a big hug. Because it's New Zealand and they love sheep. <laughs> and what else does the prime minister of New Zealand have to do? Uh, <laughs> if you're from New Zealand, I'm sorry. <laughs> We've all seen Fly of the Conqueror. beloved faith in Jesus is not faith that if you believe enough or you feel deeply enough God will be for you or love you finally 
Faith in Jesus is the belief that regardless of how far you wander, or how blind you become, or wherever you go, or how heavy you are with the weight of your own stuff, that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, will go and get you. That he lays his life down for you. That faith in him is faith in his power to save. And his promises to be good to you. And to remove the weight that has felt so heavy. For so long. And man, if that's true for you. If that's your story. Share that with people. Love people out of that. Invite people into this. Care for people because God has just gone after you. When you were alone. When you were weighted down. Pursue people that don't give you anything. Because that's what the Good Shepherd has done for you. And that's what he's done for me. And that's what he does for his sheep. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you pursue us. Lord, that our faith is not the thing that saves us in itself. But Lord, that our faith in you. And the one who moves. And the one who has power to save. When he's promised to wipe away our tears, when he's promised to be our strength and our salvation, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, that that is what moves us. That is what moves us towards you. That is what moves us towards one another. Lord, that's what helps us to look at ourselves honestly, to confess our sins, to be real with the people in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would work that into our hearts. Lord, not faith for faith's sake, but faith that we would know your love. And faith that we would know your kindness. And faith that we would know your patience and your wisdom. Lord, would you be with us? Would you dwell with us? Would you move in us as individuals, as a community, to know you and love you and make you known in the world, and especially in the city? In your sins, we pray. Amen.